Hello and welcome to Graduate Theory. My guest today is a UX UI designer at BCG Digital Ventures. She's a freelancer, speaker, and a mentor. Outside of working full-time, she sells t-shirts, does food photography, writes blogs, and researches crypto. Known for turning hobbies into businesses, please welcome the side hustle queen, Penny Talalak. <laughs> I love that intro. <laughs> it always like put a smile on my face. Yeah, oh, I I know it feels so good. Like, <laughs> I bet, yeah, it must feel good. Like as a guest, getting someone like saying all these nice things about you. <laughs> I don't know. It must feel so. Good. I think it's just like made me realize like that is a lot of thing that I do, and just having someone say it all in one sentence, I'm just like, I need a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, yeah, we know you're a very, very busy young woman and, you, you know, like you said, you've got a lot of things going on and I'd love to touch on that at some point through this conversation. But I want to take things back to start off with about uh, and talk about your experience with side hustles and, you know, doing things outside of uni or work, whatever it might be. And perhaps we can go back to your first experience uh, with a side hustle. I'm curious to know, you know, what what did you end up doing? Like, what were you selling or, and, and how old were you and kind of how did that sort of come about? Sure. So my first side hustles, some people might know this or might not know this, was that I used to sell juries when I was 17 years old. And I started when, when I bet, went back to Thailand during the long, long, long holiday, you know, between year 12 and starting first year uni. It was like four months off. And because I was in Thailand, I didn't have like a part-time job that everyone was doing, like a summer school or such. I was really bored. So I wanted to sell something. And I was young. I didn't go through like a full process of defining the problems or what are the users needs. I just wanted to make juries. So I didn't really research that there was a need for it, but it was creativity and I loved making things. So I started with making juries like bracelets, necklace, handmade, and got materials from Thailand. So it was very convenient for me to start off the, the hustle. And I didn't market as much. I just post on Instagram and, you know, always the first customer is friends and family. Mm. And from there, because I started Instagram account, I'm already in Thailand. So I started website for it and did some website design. I wasn't a designer back then as well. So my design wasn't as great, but I just needed something to do. But I knew myself what I love doing was selling. I love talking. I love, I wouldn't say like persuading people to buy stuff, but marketing, I love doing those kind of thing, like advocating mm. for what I love doing. Um, that's one thing. So you got to believe in your products so yeah. that you can sell them. And I love <laughs> my products. I was really encouraging people to buy my juries. That's what mm. I'm good at. But if I was to do sales, probably not. <laughs> so yeah, I really have to love the products to do it. Yeah, and I did it for three years. Fast forward on that, I started doing engineering at university. I really wanted to be an engineer because it was kind of the early occupation that I knew, you know, that has the reputation apart from doctors, lawyers, accountants, like, yep, everyone knew what engineering was. So I started to do engineering. I wasn't really good at maths or physics as well. Mm. Um, I just <laughs> did it for the sake of that. So I started before uni and then I kept doing it while studying engineering which was tough mm. because I was struggling in class as well as struggling to sell juries like I was just struggling in general yeah and like nothing was going good so I wanted to change degree it was either choose engineering or choose to go business side I wanted to change to commerce and I thought about it every single day I woke up and I thought do I need a commerce degree to be an entrepreneur do I need a commerce degree for another three years to have a business where I already have a business and I kept asking myself this, and maybe I do marketing, maybe I do design, maybe I do like just entrepreneurship course. So I ended up not doing it and dropping engineering and going into a design degree instead because engineering just wasn't working for me. But during university, like UNSW was really into um, startups and business vibe. So I had a lot of ideas that was really frustrating me because I was struggling in engineering and mm. so was my, my friends. And I wish I knew that engineering wasn't for me before I got into engineering. Mm. So I had a lot of, a lot of ideas, like how can we help future, you know, future students, future university students 
realized that passion and what the degree was like. So I started applying, you know, just ideas competition, startup competition, like pitching competitions and just writing my ideas down without, you know, business plan or business model. I just had an idea because it all started with an idea, right? And actually it started with a problem. Like it started with my frustrations. And then I started actually researching into it. Like, is it just me or is this actually a problem? Has that been a problem, like a a, a common theme? Because I know, you you know, you've said you're doing the jewelry and there's other things that you've done like for the time. Has that been a common thing where you've kind of, it's been a problem for yourself and then you've been like, okay, perhaps this is a problem for other people. And then it's kind of started that yeah. way. Would you say that's the case? Yeah. Yes. Always started with me first. Yeah. Like I'm always the problem. But then I kind of thought, am I alone? And there's got to be someone out there who's experiencing the same. Mm. So whenever I come across a problem, that's like a big issue that I see that maybe I'm not alone. I always do surveys and I would actually send out surveys. My friend who, if they're listening to this right now, they know me so well and they're so <laughs> sick of my surveys and mm. I make them do it. So each survey that I send out usually get mm. about like a hundred response. Wow. Some of them that I would really need the response, I would push for it and get about 600. Like surveys, wow. I was just known for getting surveys. And Goodness. so I have a lot of data. Yeah. The weakness was that I don't know how to do data analysis. So I just have a lot of raw data that I do and I just read through it and just analyze it manually. Mm. And I found it was a problem. And when you have the data back up, you are likely to be able to pitch it and use that data to tell the people, tell the investors that this is the problem that 600 people are facing, something Mm. like that. So it helps a lot. And I was entering through these competitions. I pitched through it. I made people vote for me. (laughs) And yeah, so it was more of like a startup without startup. Like obviously these ideas didn't get through. It was just an idea. And I was young until one of them reached out to me, like one of the investment like vc like ventures they're like oh we really like your idea but we're happy to help you build it out and make it come to life and mm. i was so excited <laughs> one of my ideas coming to life yeah. it's like an app design mm-hmm. and their proposal was about if we are going to do an app design for you it costs about ten thousand dollars and i was 19 years old and i'm like no way i don't have ten thousand dollars yeah no thank you i'll just keep my ideas to myself that idea now is actually being like existed like, I really see well. it out there. Like, someone's did it. And I was like, oh, man, I could have done <laughs> it. It could have been you, yeah. Yeah, yeah it could have been me. <laughs> oh, no. But I met the co-founder. I was like, wow. oh, you know, five years ago, I did the research on it. Oh, that's <laughs> or so something good. like that. Like, yeah. it's so common now. And so many people are solving, like, similar problems that I went through, mm-hmm. which is, like, bridging the gap between high school and university and choosing, like, the right degrees and such. Mm. So that was, like, my big passion then. Yeah. And, and now so many business does it i'm curious like you you're saying you went and like did surveys and you got all that data and stuff like where did you go to get that is that just something that you like posted on facebook like social media different things or is it did you actually go into a specific place like a specific community for that problem or something like that so that one because it was a problem like you know high school and university students changing degrees and Mm. not knowing what they want to do yeah. I sent it out to like UNSW discussion group and that page alone has about 10,000 people. Right, and then right. I had people posting, reposting on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I also did for high school as well. So a lot of my friends were tutoring high school. I just sent them out to them. I was tutoring as well. So I made my students do it and just sent them like, it was a lot of data. So that's why I reached about 600 of them. Mm. And yeah, mainly Facebook and pretty much direct message. So when it comes to surveys like these, yes, I do post on Facebook, but I always direct message people. <laughs> yeah. So that's why like my friends know me very well. It's like, oh, another survey for Penny. Yeah. <laughs> but I keep it really short and really smart so that it's not like a boring surveys. So that's one thing. Yeah, that's good. I was going to ask, yeah, that was going to be my next question was like, what's the structure like? Because it sounds like you've done a few of these and have kind of worked out perhaps what the best way is to do it. And yeah, that's interesting. If you keep it short and maybe the questions are quite, you know, you have, I guess, a pretty Mm -hmm. good think about the questions you want to ask because you don't get that many to ask. Yeah. Is that like, how do you go about doing that kind of stuff? So this is like when I was 18 doing surveys and honestly, like probably what made me a UX designer right now, Mm. asking questions and interviewing people, I wouldn't have known that 
I was a surveyor back in the day. Mm. The type of questions I usually keep within less than 30 minutes, something that you can do fast where you can just answer like bullet points, mm -hmm. not bullet points, like boxes. I always use Google Form because it's cheap and it's free. Mm. Um, sorry, because it's actually free. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And the questions, they actually quite long, but because the way that you introduce the questions, people start people stop realizing the time and they just keep answering the questions because then it becomes like, oh, you know, I actually came across that problem. Like I'm actually angry about yeah. it and completing the surveys. And because you're already halfway through, I think most people just kind of finish it mm. and always keeping it like one minute, like, you know, introduction, you've got like the classic, never ask for the name. That's one thing. Mm. And never ask for gender. I think like age range, I don't think that's kind of necessary as part. Like you try to limit the amount of personal information as much as possible. So mm. for me, like I had year group, like what year you're in? Uni of years, like that's easy. And try to make it most tick boxes and check boxes as much as possible. Like reduce typing time. So that was me because like check boxes is quick, right? Mm. And you can do that within 30 seconds. So that was one, like the classic, you know, what university do you go to? What year? That's like three seconds done. Next one's, yeah. So it's just like, what degree do you do? They can type that in. So it's like, do a survey, something that they already know and they don't have to think a lot. That's how you get people to do surveys quick and fast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, definitely good things to consider when you're doing that kind of thing. Is that something, you know, you said you did them a lot when you were in university. Do you, like, do you, uh, do you still do a survey or do you do, uh, like, different kinds of market research now for the things that you're doing or is it still, do you do any <laughs> market research or, like, yeah. you know, how do you go about doing it now? Is it still survey or do you have other methods to go about it now? Oh, absolutely. Survey is like the easiest and cheapest okay. way to do it now. Mm -hmm. So like type form, easier to do. Well, that's what we do at work and usually UX designers too. Mm. Surveys, but now we have another type of testing, which is MVT testing, like testing with Facebook ads. Very easy, but very expensive. Like you got to have a budget for it. And Facebook ads get a lot of data, you know, the kind of people who clicks in, the kind of comments you might get, the kind of likes, like see like who interacts with your ads. That's a lot of data to validate as well. But most of what I do now is probably use the interview, like actually talking to them one by one. Mm. So that's more more intimate, but also more costly because you're paying for their time. Mm. But also like it's more detail, but less quantitative. Yeah, it's more quality. Yeah, sure. And how do you think about the kind of balance between market research and then just doing something because you're interested in it? Because there's certainly a point where you can sit and do market research, you know, for ages and then not actually yeah. do the thing, right? So how do you think about that, you know, particularly thinking about some of the, some of the side hustles you have at the moment? Like, what do you think the right balance is between, you know, researching the market and then actually starting? This is a tough one, right? Because a lot of people, when they want to start something, they do so much research. And a great example is like selling things on Amazon, Amazon FBA, or like starting an e-commerce business, starting whatever business you are, you do a lot of research and that's fine. Like I do research too, but for me, it's all about, I'm a very practiced person. Like this depends on type of people you are. Like, you know, there will be a risk taker person and then there will be like a risk adverse type mm. and that's fine. Just one might be faster than the other. One might fail faster than the other, but it's always better to fail faster. So then you learn faster as well. Mm. Right. Warriors like one might do so much research, know exactly right or wrong. But when you put it into practice, it's different. Like you may be watching so many hours of Amazon FBA video and I still watch it every day. And it's like <laughs> so confusing. And then when you actually do it, it's mm. different, right? Yeah. Like that's, Every video that you watch, like, yes, you get an idea, but as long as I think starting is a difficult one, even like creating an account would be a great start, but not many people realize that. So just taking like small step forward. Yeah. For me, I think that designers do have the advantage, but when I wasn't a designer, the way that I validate my ideas is just talking to friends. Mm. So I, that's part of market research already. Talking to friends, like maybe like five people. Once you get five, 
and you see that it's not really worth anymore, like the ideas is probably like been existed, that's when you stop. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. Because, yeah, I know that you've like, kind of built up these kind of, you know, heuristics or like, you know, kinds of ways of doing things over time. Because I know, yeah, you, you do plenty of this stuff. Which, that's, that's really interesting. Oh, but you mentioned something yeah. there about, you know, failing fast and, you know, kind of if something's not going to work, you should find out quite soon. I wonder if there's been periods in your life and, you know, side hustles that you've tried where, you know, where is the balance there as well between like, it's just early days, it's still, I'm working on improving it, but, you know, I'll continue on versus like, it's not going to work, I'll stop. Like, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on like when it's time to stop versus like when it's time to, you know, push through people not liking it because it's going to be good one day, you know, that kind of balance there. I mean, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, there's so many side hustles and business that is like at the back of my bed. It's just so like stacking up of ideas that I want to do this. I want to do that. Mm. But you've got to remember like having a startup, I'm having your own business. You really have to dedicate and worship it for like the rest of your life. That's when you know it's successful. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, I don't think I am passionate enough about this or I don't think I am liking this as much. Like I'll probably like it at that moment. And then when I realize long-term, like, are you really passionate about this? I'll probably get bored like the next day already. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized like to stop about it. But I did go through like a process, you know, like the initial process, probably like talking to friends and seeing if there's already something out there. This should take like about half a day. Like it shouldn't be like a week thing, like half a day or maybe like just one day, just talking to different people, see what they think. And pretty much like that should already validate like some validation to your ideas. And if you see that that's an actual problem, that's when I start like looking for competitors. If there's already a solution out there and what are people using? And mm. if there's already a solution out there, it's like, oh, sh should I really bother making a solution for it? Because if, like, let's say Uber Eats, right? And there's another delivery app that I want to make. And there's so many delivery apps right there. You have to be so passionate about delivery apps to, mm. you know, commit for like five, 10 years to beat Uber about yeah. Uber Eats. And that's just something that I am not ready. And that's when I know before I even start that I'm not going to, yeah, bother. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's interesting too, like having your personal interests as part of the thing that you're doing. And how do you think about that? Like, would you ever do something that, you know, you weren't interested in, but it was a good business idea? <laughs> or or is it like, or do you kind of, you know, you kind of know straight away, like, hey, this is a cool idea, but I'm not like into that. So like, I'm not going to do it. You know, what, what do you, how do you think about that? Oh, there's so many ideas, right, that I think would be a great idea, but I'm not too passionate to actually do it. And I just hope that someone out there is fixing this one day. <laughs> so I feel like ideas should actually be transparent and should be shared around the world because there's no such thing that you can IP an idea. Like, that's stupid. Like, you just say a word, it's like IPing a sentence. So, like, yes, you can patent a business idea, but you've got to have, like, a full business plan about it. You know, like when it comes to, like, brainstorming no one's going to pay to the stickies or whatever they do like it costs a lot and who's going to bother doing that and if you're actually going to bother doing that you already waste so much time and money might as mm. well just make an idea so there's a lot of people who are tight like very conservative of their own ideas and how things work and solution and i try to kind of encourage people to be more open about you know the ideas you know it doesn't mean like that people are stealing ideas. Like so many people are talking about, oh no, you stole my idea. Like delivery rule is the same as menu log and also the same as Uber Eats. Mm. So they're still successful, right? It's still business. Mm. And I think like, yes, if you're going to have a business and it already exists out there, I don't think that should be a stopping point if you're passionate about it. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't passionate about it. I wasn't like bothered to actually compete with Uber Eats. But there will be yeah. some people who are bothered and very passionate about food delivery mm. to come up with a new business idea, like Milk Run, for example. That was like a new business idea with like, I don't even know, a scalable business model that doesn't scale. It's only like working in Redfern and Eastern Suburbs. It doesn't even deliver to my place. Mm. So 
that kind of business idea that I feel like you need to really be bothered about it and passionate about it mm. to build something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice. You know, Unless you have a lot of money to just throw <laughs> at a business and hire someone to do it. It's like, yep, I acquired that and I sold it to other people. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> mm. That's Yeah, that's a good point too. But I think that's interesting. Yeah, like your personal interest it takes quite a high priority in the things that you do. Because, yeah, I guess that's what's going to be carrying you over the long term as well. If, you, if you're not interested in it, uh, then even though it might be a good idea, yeah, is it really worth doing that if you're just going to get bored like pretty quickly? Well, you made a great point, right? It's like, I don't like doing this, but I make a lot of money and it's a great business, mm. but you'll never be happy with it. I think at that point, you will then realize that money doesn't make you happy. Mm. Yeah, sure. It's always the same. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for listening to this episode of Graduate Theory. If you haven't already subscribed to the Graduate Theory newsletter, you can do so via the links in the show notes. The Graduate Theory newsletter comes out every single Tuesday morning with my thoughts and lessons from each episode. But without further ado, let's get back into it. Perhaps we can talk a bit now. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on sort of time management and productivity as you think about doing these things on the side. Because obviously you're working full time at the moment and then you've got I'm not even sure how many things on the side at the moment, but it's quite a few. You know, I'm interested to hear, you know, how you go about managing your time and how you think about productivity. You know, do you have a kind of a system that you follow, whether it's, you know, like, do you have like your calendar like fully planned out or do you, uh, you know, are you more of a just do what I feel like doing? I'm curious to hear like how you actually think about managing your time. Yeah, so I would say like a lot of people know me as a very time management structured plan person. When people want to see me, you have to book me in like two weeks in advance or I would be, I would know what I'm doing every single weekend. Mm. So that will be some months like February. I know what I'm doing up until like the end of Feb and next availability is like mid-March, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But am I really that busy? Obviously, no, there will always be time, right? Like you're not actually doing something eight hours a day like there will be breaks mm. you're eating you're showering you're on facebook i'm like on facebook all the time on instagram all the time i have time to like post my stories i have time to watch netflix but why i'm doing these things my mind is actually working mm -hmm. and this comes to like multitasking and my tips for this is i'm always replying things fast like doing things very fast and that minimizes decision-making time. If you decide something very slow, your life will probably be slow. But that's also, you know, like I'm a risk taker and I don't really think much. Like if I want to do something, I do it straight away. If I want to reply, I reply straight away. So that's for me, like reduce decision-making in your life. And Mark Zuckerberg did this. You know what? He was telling us why he would always wear gray t-shirt. Because it reduces decision-making in his life. Mm. And it already saves you like five minutes to choose like what you wear. Mm. Not like women, right? We're always like, I wasted two hours choosing like what I'm going <laughs> to do like outside. Mm. So he made a really good point. And that's how I kind of like live through, you know, reduce your decision-making time. It doesn't mean that you're a risk taker and don't make decisions at all. Like, please don't ever do that. But it just means that you got to be very logical and smart in knowing if you do this, what's the outcome? If you do this, what's the outcome? So just, yeah, reduce that, like be a fast texter. That's something. Yeah. I'm always a fast texter, yeah. <laughs> always on my phone and always there for people. Mm. And one of the reasons being that I'm always on my phone and be there for people is that if you're not there every minute, you're losing an opportunity. So taking, for example, if a friend's upset and they texted you and you're not there because you're just probably not on your phone. Maybe you're busy or something. That's fine. Then you're already losing that opportunity to be to be there for someone, like to be there for her because she's upset and she will go to other people and she will stop relying on you. Mm. And for me, like I want to be the person who's actually reliable and I want to create trust between people. And that's where, like, you know, I feel like you're being a good friend for it. So mm. that's just, that's more about like friendship kind of type. And it, then it just kind of grow on me that I'm just always a fast replier. Yeah. Same as like job, right? If 
if like, let's say someone wants to do a website design and I'm like, if I'm a slow replier, I will lose that chance and they will go to someone else who will reply like faster than you. So it's just that mentality. And that's why like I'm always replying fast because you've got to be first in the line and you've got to be fast in action because there will always be someone who will be above you yeah. and faster than you. So yeah, life is all about competitions and that's like my time management. Yes, I have a calendar, but I do time box everything as well, except maybe Sunday because like, I really do need to chill yeah. <laughs> and I do all have to do. So there will be times where I don't actually bring my laptop and Apple Watch so I don't get notifications. Mm. And I use the way to chill, like just going out. Yeah. Otherwise, if I'm at home, I'm on like my laptop like 24-7. Yeah. And when I'm on my laptop, like I have three screens. One screen is like work. The other screen is another work. The other screen is like another, another work. <laughs> so always like looking like up and down and see like, what I need to do. Yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's certainly, I know you've managed to accomplish like a lot, <laughs> you know, in one day, which is, which is really amazing. And I think, you know, going back to what you were saying there about the speed, I've heard it described like once you make it like, you know, you kind of have this feedback loop of, you know, observe, orient, decide, act, I think it is. So, you know, you observe the situation, yeah. work out what you're going to do. Maybe it's less than that. <laughs> Maybe it's like orient, decide, act, probably it would be, would be fine. Like, you know, realize the situation, yeah. decide act and then get feedback on your decision and the quicker you can complete that loop like the quicker you can do things so like like what you're saying with the speed if you finished something on like it took you a week to do something versus a few days or one day then you're able to like get feedback on the thing that you've done so if you finished it on monday versus like saturday you know then you would have the feedback you know midweek versus like you know and then you can just see how that the loop would just speed things up quite quickly. So I think that's really interesting mm -hmm. how you were saying speed is something that's quite important and making decisions quickly or applying yeah. quickly. Yeah, I think I think it's really important for productivity. Like for me, like I find it really easy to start things. Like if I'm going to start a business, I'll start it like in the next five minutes. If I'm going to start like a new idea, I'll start like straight away or mm. like very fast at starting. But I find it really hard to end things. So when I start something, the next day I'll have to think about how am I going to end this? And I break it down into like process, like phase one's got to end, phase two's got to end. Mm. Otherwise, like the, my work, which is going like long, long, like this has been going on for five months. Why is it not ending? And I do tend to forget because I'm a very forward, like future person. I don't actually know like what happened in the past, which. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I'm curious to hear, you know, what are some, if someone is working on a side hustle outside of work, are there any productivity or time management tips that you would give someone that's managing their side hustle or side hustles in your case, you know, outside of work hours? Mm. Is there any, you know, anything that's worked well for you that you think, or any advice generally that you'd, you would give to someone in that situation? Yeah, I think, um, a lot of it is, I would say, personality and characters. This is something that you probably can't teach someone, right? Like motivations, ambitions, yeah, time management. It's something to practice. But a lot of people are, I think it's the environment you're in. So if you're constantly with surrounding with people who are, who don't have side hustles, you're probably not going to have side hustles. But if you're surrounding yourselves, who's like, you know, always like, Get, go get her, have side hustles, then you will feel like you are behind. And people don't actually realize that until they got out of the circle and go into another circle and you feel like, wow, I am like the odd one out. Mm. I think some tips for me who already have side hustles, I think they know what they're doing really well. And yes, you will have a mental breakdown. So please reach out to me. I do <laughs> have mental breakdown too. And it is okay. Yeah, some tips on this. Honestly, I don't really have any tips. <laughs> Usually it happens at night because people who have side hustles don't sleep before midnight. So yes, I will be up and I will be there for you. <laughs> That's one. But also multitasking. Just kind of set your schedule. I'm always using like Kanban board Notion <laughs> to move things. And it is so satisfying when you move things across. And so there will be some cards. That will be there for months and months. And it's annoying, right? Because you really want to move it. So what you can do is just kind of break down into like little cards. So you can just move it as like every single day because they're breaking down little tasks. Instead of having it as an own like little giant umbrella, mm. break down like into step by step. 
even though like you can do a step-by-step inside the car, make sure that step-by-step is like a separate card. So that's a smart way of me just moving things because it's a satisfaction that you're moving one thing to like done mm. and it feels so good. Yeah. So that's one. I use Notion for to-do list Kanban board mm. and I would say I use Figma a lot to do calendar. So I've got a monthly calendar to see like when when things should be done for my side hustles. And I have a weekly calendar. So then I know like in one week what events are on, like Monday to Friday. Mm. So that's more of like a social calendar, that kind of type. Yeah. So that's how I function. But for people who want to start side hustles but they don't know how, that, that's a hard one because it's about like motivation. It's about like finding what you want to do. It's about like finding if you're going to be passionate enough to keep up with it. Yes, you're going to fail. But I would say the, mo- the best way to get motivation is to be surrounded by the people who are doing the, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's good advice. It's that whole thing, you know, surround yourself with like... You're the average of your five best friends and even yeah, surrounding yourself with people you want to be like, all that kind of stuff, I think. Is is that true with the five best friends? Like, what if you only have, like, less than five? I like, think, what happened? I, I think, yeah, the way I interpret that quote is it's kind of your five best friends is, is maybe, let's say your closest friend probably has the biggest impact and then it kind of goes down as, like, your the closeness goes down. And so then it's almost the sum of all your inputs and five is maybe just a good number to pick. But really, I think it's the sum of everything. So it's like who your friends are, who your parents are, you know, what kind of things do you watch on TV? Like, what do you actually use? Like, what do you actually use your time with? Like, what kind of what kind of outside things are coming into your environment? And all those things together is going to either is going to really shape your motivation and your thoughts on things. And, you know, the five best friends is maybe, you know, a good way of and a simple way of like visualizing or understanding that. But I think for me, it's more than just your friends. Like, obviously, they're important. But I think it's more even the sum of, like, all those things coming in. Like, what are you watching? What are you mm. listening to? Um, what are you even doing with your time? Because I think that even in itself is, a, you know, something that can, can help. Yeah, that, that, that's the way I understand it. But I think I think it is quite accurate. Because if you, if you look at someone doing, like, doing something, whether it's even for me, like, a lot of the guys that, like, I'm friends with other people doing podcasts, which makes it easier for me to do mine. Like yeah. uh, if I was just doing it by myself, I didn't even know anyone else doing it, then it would be a way harder. And I'm sure for you as well, like you probably know people that like support you and, you know, doing it like similarly, you know, cool stuff. Maybe I'm not... I am so different from my best friends. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing is like, I, I have multiple groups of friends mm-hmm. for different purpose, mm. which sounds really bad, but for me, like. If I have, like, let's say 10 groups of friends, mm-hmm. by the time I get to the first one, I will see them, like, the next three months. Yeah. So it's, like, a rotation, uh-huh. which is, which sounds really bad. But, <laughs> yeah, just kind of think of that. It was, like, an interesting one. Yeah. Five closest friends, and I'm nothing like my five closest friends. Hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Maybe it doesn't work then. <laughs> maybe it's in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe it doesn't work yeah. for me. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I want to ask some questions around, too your career as a designer because I know that's something you know that's something you do um, really well and you're working with a fantastic company and I want to understand more like how you got into the field of design and kind of what traits I know you you mentor people in this space too so I'm interested to hear you know what if someone listening is into design and they want to you know become a designer like yourself you know what are some things that they can do to help them get into this field and even like grow their skills in this area i'm interested to hear if you have any thoughts on that yeah so i think first of all design is such a broad term you can be an engineer design you can be an architecture design fashion design so my field is called user experience and user interface which is such a long name Mm. or in other words like ux ui and also no one kind of knew that acronym like explaining to my grandparents which is (laughs) the most difficult thing It's Mm. still like, it's been around for a while and we do it every day. But, you know, having a job title like that is, you know, it's coming up. It's getting more known these days now, which Mm. is good. But that's still like, you know, I would say 80% who don't know what I do. User experience design is what we're designing for users to have the best experience. And people might be asking like, 
what do you do? How do you make user have the best experience? You know, like how do you know someone's going to have a good experience or not? Because you can't always please everyone. And that's the hardest part of my job, right? Because I have mm. to please people and making sure that the design is right and that everyone's going through the same, but there will always be like 10% minority out there mm. who will hate your design and things that like, this is not working. And that's totally okay. Just something like you have to accept it. Like not everyone likes Facebook, not everyone likes Instagram, mm. but you get used to it and it's the pattern. So it's a lot of psychology that you have to understand how the human works. What is that pattern? Like what is already out there? What is successful? What's a good product? What's a bad product? And it's usually for digital design. So, you know, we're moving along like digital experience. So that's why like I design a lot of apps, design a lot of website, design a lot for like Web 3.0 and crypto stuff, which is mm. really fun. For people who want to get into this, where what I do, UX, UI, first of all, you can either have a UX background or have a UI background. So I came from graphic design and UI is more design creative style like you know where things goes placement of text buttons making things look pretty but it might not be the best experience and then there's ux which is amazing flow like amazon has so addictive yellow button that you just keep on pressing by now <laughs> but terrible terrible ui like terrible interface it looks like it's coming from like 1990s but it's working so well so that's like coming from ux and then you've got ui so yeah, that's like people, a lot of people coming from like, there's no degree for it. You can essentially do any degree. And that's why like, I just want to graduate and self-taught UX UI myself. And I started with a UI, just designing apps, designing um, website. And that's the more you design and just copying like existing apps out there, the more you start to see the pattern. What's the size of a button? What's the size of a font? Where should the button go? the terminology that people use or how many screens should an onboarding process have. So the more you copy design, the more you understand like, yep, this is how app works. And mm. that's the same for website as well, like copy a lot of website. So then you finally figure out that, oh yeah, image should be placed here. Font of like title should be like this big, button should be this big. And you start to realize like the pattern for it, like e-commerce, right? Why does the card always at the top and sticks to it. Mm. What happens suddenly if you put the cart on the side? Like maybe it looks good, but then the user, like e-commerce website looks the same. And there's a reason behind it is because like people will always be used to e-commerce website. And sometimes like us for designer who wants to like go beyond the pattern might be like difficult because everyone's so used to it. So, but that's a challenge like in our life is like, how do you break that pattern? And making people like buy differently without making them like not knowing, not getting used to it. It's, it's a really difficult job, but yeah. a lot of people see it as like a really easy job because if you're, depends on if you're good at it, like you do it so much, you can finish like the work, like really fast, like design really fast, like designing website, you know, your routine, you know, your speed, it's all about speed, right? But if you're not good at it, like you're probably like taking a long time to create websites and you're thinking like this is really ugly and you're not happy with it, you do it again. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I know I'm going off like the topic <laughs> of like <laughs> no, and trips to get into the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say start copying design and looking at apps and websites. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. I, I'm interested to hear, you know, what are some things or some skills uh, of in, that are involved in being you know, a designer, like a UI UX designer that you think are important, but you think other people or the market, like, you know, think other, like other people underestimate the importance and perhaps that you think they're important. Is there anything that you think people underappreciate in terms of skills for this area? Yeah. Well, design, like creative skills, the eye for design is already really hard to train. Like if you can't like Honestly, like some, these skills, creativity, some people are born with it. Like they're great drawers. They, they can draw, they, they know where a color goes. They know the eye for design. It's just really hard to train. And for me, like I used to be able to draw, but I can't draw anymore. Mm. But because I do design so much, like looking at exemplars, looking at website, I am able to kind of put it in my head where things goes. But some people who haven't done that before, it can be really hard. 
And I think a lot of people appreciate that because they realize that, oh, I actually can't design this. Like, wow, it looks so good. Because mm. at the end of the day, everyone thinks that they are a designer. Mm. Just going to repeat that. <laughs> everyone thinks they are a designer. Mm. You can design, I can design, everyone can design a website, right? But what people don't realize is the psychology behind it. How do you design something that not really looks good? Because the word good, right, is different from everyone. You might think that this button looks great, but I might think that this looks terrible. So how do you actually prove like what's actually defined good? So in the industry, there's no such thing as, I would say, good design anymore, but more of like what's usable and get validation from other people, like the actual users and customers themselves. Mm. And that's like a great proven point that if you're designing an e-commerce website and it looks great, or actually, no, I don't want to say it looks great. Like let's say you're designing an e-commerce website as a designer, you might think it looks good, Mm. but the customers say it looks really bad. So it's not their fault. It's like your fault that the the commerce, that the e-commerce website is not making sales. Mm. So that's something that I don't think people notice. Like a lot of people don't hide designers because they feel like they can do it themselves. Like, you know, logo is really easy to do now. You can get it for 10 bucks from like Fiverr or Upwork. And there's so many like freelancer, like .com that is marketing like website design for 10 bucks, logo design for five bucks. But there is a psychology behind it that you're missing. There's two types of designers. One, the cheap one, that just you tell them what to do and they just do it for you. Mm -hmm. The two, the expensive one, you tell them what to do, but they take in like a grain of salt and they give you suggestions and advice on how to make it better. Mm. So a lot of people go with the first one, right? Because designers are very expensive. They just go for like, yep, this is what I want. I just need you to make it look pretty. Mm. And I have so many clients who's asking for like logo design. I just needed to make it look pretty. But then there are also other clients who actually need my suggestions to it. Like, I don't care that I know you can make it look pretty, but I want to know how to actually make sales mm. and how to actually get more people visiting my website. That's the that's the thinking behind it that not many people appreciate. Yeah. That's yeah. that's really I think that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, the psychology behind it is something, yeah. That certainly if you were really interested or if you were interested at all, you could really upskill yourself in those kinds of things and then improve as mm. a designer quite quickly. I wanna kind of start to wrap this conversation up and I've got two questions left, you know, around your career as a whole. And I'm the, the first one of these is has there been a particular moment or is there something that comes to mind that was a failure for yourself or something that didn't go to plan but ended up being something that was a really valuable experience or it was something that you know you, 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 it was almost a failure yeah but it ended up being something that you really appreciate now and something that has turned out really well is there anything that comes to mind yeah definitely when I was applying for graduate position a lot of my friends final year applying for internship and graduate position and I went through a lot of interviews as any other grads do, a lot of interviews, assessment center, design challenge, went through like last round and then just didn't get offer. As in like, I got zero offers where I would be listening to my friends getting five offers, like, wow. And that point I felt so low and thought to myself that why am I not good enough? Like, am I, is it my degree that is my fault? Or like, what is it that is missing? Is it my, my mark or is it that my degree is not aligning with what they're looking for? Or maybe there's just other people. And that made me doubt my skills a little bit because I really wanted to get into UX UI. Like I was so determined to get into UX UI, but there wasn't many UX UI graduate program. And I had some interviews as well at a UX UI graduate program, but I didn't get it. And I just felt like, oh, okay, maybe this is the end of the industry for me. Mm. And I thought I was doing so well. Like I was doing so many app design and website in my own time. I had a very smashing portfolio and which got me through like actual interviews and last round. But no, I just didn't get it. And I started looking outside of graduate program and I got a job as like a junior entry-level UX UI designer mm. instead of just graduate. So I went 
I skipped the junior process and I just went through an entry level, just a normal UX, UI designer. And I don't think they were looking for juniors as well. Like the job title was looking for UX, UI designers. And it says like maybe two to three years experience. Like I had like zero experience because I just graduated. But I was lucky for my portfolio because I've done a lot of practice of like UX, UI. And I made my portfolio look like I have two to three years experience. Mm -hmm. And I had the eye for design that I practiced already. So even though like, you know, I got a degree that is on UX, UI never actually had a UXUI job. I was able to land a role at like a legal tech firm. And my manager back then explained to me why he actually hired me, which was hilarious. It wasn't because I knew what I was doing. It wasn't because that I was, you know, experienced in UXUI. It was because I didn't know a shit. And I was just bullshitting in the interview. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, she's easy to train. So that was me like being open-minded in the interview and knew what I was doing, but I actually didn't know what I was doing. And he found it pretty funny. So he hired me and trained me up because he was looking for someone to actually mentor and able to train up. Mm. And I think that's for everyone, for junior, like don't expect to be the best, but go in as your best self and act like you know, like all this shit. <laughs> but then at the end of the day, like they can see that you probably don't know stuff. So that was the reason I'm like, oh, okay, that's funny. And I grew a lot from that because I was open-minded. I was willing to learn. I was like, all right, hit me, like whatever you want. And I started from ground zero. Like he trained me from like the beginning of how to use Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator. And I was having like this mental breakdown. It was the hardest <laughs> job ever. Like usually I just draw boxes, like making website. He made me like copy website in Adobe Illustrator. And that's like, you got to learn the hard way to be successful in the future, right? Yeah. And yeah, that's cool. first mentor out there. I always mention him. <laughs> he has my Instagram. He's probably listened to this. Yeah. So Amazing. yeah, that was one failure. But then it also taught me about salary negotiation. Mm. And that was the best. Like, you know, a lot of graduates asking, like, you know, it's the lowest really pay and all that. I'm actually very thankful that I skipped all the graduates program and got into the entry level at a higher salary even. And I was able to use that as a benchmark to like jump to another company and skip that. So I felt like I didn't have to go through junior process as much. I think it's for me, like I still consider myself a junior. I'm still a junior at my company. So yeah, you will always be a junior for someone. So that's yeah. just me. Like, if you keep thinking yourself that you're a junior, then you will always have that mentality mindset that you're not good enough. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think that's a great story. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear that you didn't get a grad offer and, you know, look where you are now. I think it's really, you know, it's <laughs> been uh, like, yeah, it's worked out perfectly almost. Well, I've got one more question for you today, Penny. And that's a question I ask all the guests. And it's if you were starting your career finishing year, you're starting your first job again this year. Is there anything, any advice that you would give yourself if you were restarting your career today? Oh, that is a hard one because I love my job. Like I'm doing really well. And if I have to go back and start it over again, I would be panicking because the competition is way higher, right? (laughs) Like COVID hit, Mm. so many people out of job, so many great designers out there. I think like if I didn't get a job offer because like going through a job application again is exhausting. Mm. Going through graduate program, I think for for sure, I would not apply for graduate program. I'm done. I'm done with that. <laughs> so I'll probably look for something more, more entry level personally. And even though like the bench is so high, I'll probably start a business. If I'm going to start my career again, I'll start a business and I'll stop applying. Like I'll apply, yeah. but I wouldn't be upset if I don't get it because I'll have my own things to do. Yeah. yeah. I think that's cool. And it's certainly, you know, you've shown that there are plenty of opportunities out there for side hustles and for extra things to do. If you, if you can look for them you know, and, and be interested in what problems need solving in the world. So I think that's, that's great advice. And certainly I think we're in the, we're in the period now where people are applying the grad roles for starting for next year. So I think that's great advice and very timely advice as well. So, oh, it's stressful yeah. for them. Like, I didn't want to go through that ever again. <laughs> like, job application yeah. is way stressful than a breakup. Yeah. I'm sorry, but like, 
it's so bad. Like, just quote that. Yeah. <laughs> or application rejection is way more stressful than a guy rejecting yeah. you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah, funny. Because it, it hurts, right? Like, every day you're checking your email, mm. you didn't get a job, you didn't get a job, like, your life sucks and you're surrounded by people who are, like, making money and flushing their suit in Barangaroo. Yeah. So that's one. And I never get to experience that because it didn't work in Barangaroo. But I think like creating job for yourself will help you get mm. a job. Yeah. And a absolutely. lot of people don't really like this. Yeah, certainly. I think that's great advice. And yeah, absolutely. I think doing those side hustles and things like that's open to anyone. So if you can pay attention to the problems in the world and and help people solve them, then I think, yeah, you'll be setting yourself up in the right way absolutely and also know people i think like i wish if i went back more i wish i knew more people even though i know a lot of people i just i just want to know more people yeah like know more smart talented people yeah that is within your circle like you need people like that in your life yeah definitely no it's so important absolutely and so thanks so much for the chat today penny it's been really illuminating into your life and all the things you're doing and all the amazing advice you have to share with us but if people want to connect with you more find out more about what you do yeah where's the best place for them to find you literally like on my instagram (laughs) i don't really use linkedin anymore i feel like that is so professional you know like the message hey penny regards like sam like wow and I reply back like, hey, girl, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, like I think in this world, there's so much stress already, like writing emails is already formal and then you go on LinkedIn and then you have to be formal again. It's like LinkedIn is not email. So I feel like, yeah, stop using LinkedIn to kind of communicate. And I, when you get to Instagram, right, like you have my Instagram, I think like you feel personal connection and you feel invested in someone's life. Mm. And what I'm trying to do, like I want people to come on a journey with me because not a lot of people go through like what I do each day and like what is what is the life of a side hustle workaholic like and yes like there were mental breaks down like people are involved with my success people are involved with my failure and the more you get personal like I'm a very open person it becomes more of like a friendship rather than like a professional relationship and I don't want to have that you know regards penny more of like yeah, let's catch up, Penny. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, that's certainly very true. Well, yeah, we'll have the links to your Instagram and all your, your website and all that kind of stuff in the show notes. But yeah, thanks so much for chatting today, Penny. It's been really fascinating hearing about yourself and, and your story. So yeah, thanks so much for yeah, your time absolutely. today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Graduate Theory with Penny Talalak. She's started so many side hustles. She worked extremely hard at what she does. And it was really great to get her insight into different things that she's doing and how she manages it all on top of working full time. If you haven't already subscribed to the Graduate Theory newsletter, you can find my takeaways from this episode as well as every other episode. Uh, They'll come straight to your inbox every single week. Thanks again for listening to this episode. We'll see you again next Tuesday.